0: Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. Our current series is called The Ripple Effect. Our goal is to understand how the forces that shape our lives affect us personally and then ripple out beyond us to impact our friends, our neighbors, and the world at large. I hope you enjoy.
1: Now let us move on in our worship with our first scripture reading, which comes to us from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? The word of the Lord.
0: So, our second scripture reading today comes from Mark 8, 34 to 37. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give and return for their life? It's the word of the Lord. So we've come to the last sermon in our series called The Ripple Effect. And this series is based on the visualization of the ripples that occur in water. We got it. Good. First one, remember? First time we did it didn't work. But we've made it all the way through all the other times. And so this idea, if you've been here, you know that we've been talking about how you can have this event that can happen in one place, and the effects of that event can ripple out and impact situations and circumstances that were not connected to the initial event. And the focus of this sermon series has been on how we have these forces that shape our lives and how these forces can ripple out beyond us and how Jesus and the gospel have the ability to disrupt those influences and change us and remold us into completely different people. So this sermon series is fairly short. For my sermon series generally speaking um, this is only six sermons this is a six one today and so we 've done five before I just want to walk you real quickly through what the topics of those sermons were so you understand where we've been so you get kind of where we 're going so The first sermon that we did was based on the narrative, the story that we tell ourselves about who we are and where we came from. And that story, it can ripple out to impact the people around us. The second sermon that we talked about was the underlying influences that create that narrative for us. And how do you break out of that narrative that's defined your life? The third sermon was where we talked about how society can prevent us from being able to break out of that narrative because they look at you, they look at your background, where you came from, who you are, and they keep you inside of this box where you cannot get beyond that. Then we looked at other ripple effects of society. In the fourth sermon, we went back to our hunter-gatherer ancestors. We looked at how they used violence to maintain peace and how that rippled out, and that's still how we maintain peace to this day. And then last week, we talked about how we've supplanted some of that violence with the criminal justice system. And we talked about what happens when an innocent person ends up in that criminal justice system. We discussed how you can have these layers of trust and the trust is what allows that person to be there. We look at that and we say, well, if you're in prison, you deserve to be in prison, right? And so it's hard for people who are in those situations to break free from that. Now on the other side of the innocent who get imprisoned, and by the way, that's a fairly small percentage, we can agree on that, right? Are the people who are guilty, of committing crimes and being placed in prison. And the reason why a lot of people who commit crimes go to prison uh, is because they're not thinking through the consequences of what they're doing. They act without really considering where is this going to go? What are the ramifications of what I'm doing? And what's interesting is that the reason why those people are in prison is the exact same reason why you are sitting in this sanctuary today. The same factor is at play in all of these people, you and them. And so today, we're going to be looking at the final ripple effect, perhaps one of the most important that determines so much about our lives. Today, we're going to be looking at the ripple effect of impulse control. And so I want to start by telling you about a series of experiments that were done at Stanford University in the 1960s and 70s. So Walter Mischel, he was a professor of psychology at Stanford University, and he wanted to devise an experiment so that he could study the effects of delayed gratification. Now, before we move into this, I want to talk about what is delayed gratification, because we need to define that term. So delayed gratification is the process of resisting the temptation of an immediate reward in favor of receiving a much greater reward later on so a good example of this would be academics if you want to do well in school generally speaking unless you're a genius you probably are going to have to study right now the problem is is that most of us don't like studying do we so let's use an example let's say you have a test tomorrow and that test is coming up but you don't really like studying so you have to make a decision are you going to put off studying and possibly not do well on that test so that you can do the things you enjoy right now? And when I was a kid, that would be doing things like going outside and playing basketball, playing on my computer, playing video games, uh, staring at the wall, pretty much doing anything (laughs) that was not studying. That's what I would do, right? So are you going to do those things that you enjoy, or are you going to delay that immediate gratification so that you can study and do well on the test. So this is delayed gratification in a nutshell. You do something now that you don't like so that you can get a benefit out of it in the future. And you might think, well, I don't really understand that concept in terms of school, well, do you like getting A's? Then you gotta study, right? That's really what it comes down to. You gotta do the thing you don't like to get the thing that you do like. So Walter Mitchell, he wanted to figure out, can you determine when the control of delayed gratification sets in in children? When does that develop in a child? So he goes to the Stanford University nursery school, and he asks if he can use their children. Now, these particular children, you have to realize, they come from professors to janitors. They're all over the place. Everybody can use this nursery school. And so he gets permission, the kids are ages four to six, and what he does is he brings them in, and he sits them down at a table, and he offers them a treat of their choice. It can be an Oreo, it could be a pretzel, or it can be a marshmallow. And the researcher sits them down and says, look, you can eat this treat whenever you want, but if you can wait 15 minutes, then you can get a reward of a second treat. And then the researcher would then leave the room, and they would wait to see what happens. Now, I could show you the original footage of the marshmallow experiment, as it's come to be known, uh, but that's a little bit boring, just to sit there and watch a kid uh, wait to eat a marshmallow. So, I've gone through, and I've actually looked at a number of recreations of this, and perhaps one of the best recreations I've ever seen of this was done by a magician. His name was Justin Wilman, and so I want to actually show you uh, what he did, his recreation of the marshmallow experiment, so you can get a sense of what these kids were going through. Let's watch.
2: Why is it that some people are just better at self-control than me? I suspect the answer lies in how we handle the dilemmas we face as kids. For example, you can have one marshmallow now, or if you can wait 10 minutes, you can have two. The famous Stanford marshmallow experiment tests children's self-control. You have a choice. You can eat it now, totally cool, or if you can wait till I get back, I'll give you a second marshmallow.
0: I can... I can do it.
2: You can wait 10 minutes? Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Oh, by the way, if you want, you can use that cup to cover it up so you don't have to look at it. Good luck. Okay. Researchers showed that by putting a marshmallow in front of a kid and daring him not to eat it, you could tell if one day they'd be the next Steve Jobs or the next Steve Gutenberg.
1: Ooh.
2: Now, in the original experiment, they just waited to see what happened, but I don't have the patience for that. That's okay. I
1: didn't eat it. I missed a cup and it was gone. How'd you do? Good.
2: Was it good?
0: Yeah. After I slipped the cup, it just disappeared.
2: What disappeared?
0: The marshmallow.
2: Would you like another one?
0: Yeah, it just disappeared. Oh,
2: buddy, here. You want to eat this one? It's okay. Here, eat this one. You can eat this one. It disappeared like magic? Yeah! Well, eat this one. Tell me how it tastes. Good. Is it good? Well, we made a kid cry, so I'd say phase
0: one was a success. You can watch this whole series on Netflix. I'd highly recommend it. It's really good. So, Walter Mitchell, he wanted to figure out what is the ripple effect of this delayed gratification. After he performed the whole experiment, he decided to follow these kids into adulthood because he wanted to see, is there a correlation between a child's ability to employ delayed gratification and their success as an adult? And what he came to find is that those people who were able to resist temptation, they're known as high delayers, that they were having a whole array of benefits over those who were... Low delayers, those who would eat the treat immediately. So what he discovered when he went back to see these kids as teenagers is that the high delayers, they had better SAT scores. They had a higher sense of self-esteem. They were better able to cope with stress. They were better able to plan ahead. They were better able to make sure that they were using reason. And what this led to was less uh, problems in school they would get into less aggressive behavior a lot less hyperactivity what he found when he went back and studied them as adults is that the high delayers they had less drug abuse issues less addiction issues generally they tended to have healthier relationships they didn't end up getting divorced as often as the low delayers and Ultimately, what they found is that the high delayers were much healthier. They had lower body weights. So he was actually able to correlate, and I think this is really interesting, that for every minute that a child was able to wait in order to delay gratification, a 0.2% reduction in body mass. Over 30 years later. Now, 40 years after the original experiment, a group of researchers at Cornell University got 59 of the original participants and brought them in and had them do another delayed gratification task. This time, instead of placing food in front of them, they actually showed them images. So the images that they looked at were images of faces. So these faces were happy, neutral, and fearful. When they saw the neutral or the fearful face, they were supposed to press a button but when they saw the happy face, they were supposed to resist hitting the button. Now it works on the same mechanism in the brain. And what they discovered is that the high delayers, the ones who have been able to resist the marshmallow as a child, actually did better with resisting hitting the button when it came to the happy faces. And so they believed that your impulse control as a child, it tends to follow you into Adulthood and they actually in the middle of all of this. They did what's called an fMRI brain scan Which is where they can actually watch your brain as you're doing the task And they did this on 26 of the participants and what they found is there was a Significant difference between the brains of high delayers and low delayers in fact the high delayers use a very different part of the brain to deal with delayed gratification than low delayers, which they believe is the reason why high delayers tend to have more success in their lifetimes. Now, if you were to go out from here and you were to Google Mitchell's study, what you will find is that actually many of his conclusions recently have been called into question. And that's because his experiment, because it's so famous, has been redone over and over again. And recently some researchers came out and said that they have been unable to repeat his results. That it came back and they said, uh, well, we tried it, and you know, it just wasn't working. And of course, if you, want a, if you want it to be scientific in science, you have to be able to repeat something to make it factual. Now, I've looked at the original study, and I've looked at the subsequent studies, and I think that the issue here is that the original intent of Mitchell's study has actually been misconstrued. So even though today, the marshmallow experiment is synonymous with the idea, or it's about the idea of how we evolve from children into adults when it comes to delayed gratification. How does your delayed gratification manifest in adulthood? That was not what this study was originally about. So the idea wasn't just to sit a kid down and see whether or not they're gonna eat a treat. That wasn't the original purpose. The original purpose was if you have a kid, you sit him down and he's a low delayer, meaning he eats the treat immediately or within a few minutes. Can you get that child, can you coach them through strategy to become a high delayer? Can you get them to the point where they can last the 15 minutes to be able to get to the other side? And What he found was that, in fact, you could. You could have a kid who ate the treat immediately, right? And then, through coaching, they could last the 15 minutes to get the second reward. Now, why is this important? It's important because you're talking about two different outcomes with the study. The way we know the marshmallow experiment today is that it's basically telling us that our lives are static, right? That they can't be changed. If you have poor impulse control as a child, well, guess what? You're going to have poor impulse control as a child. An adult but that's not what his study was trying to show originally was it his study was trying to show that actually you can change that you can be different that if you have poor impulse control as a child with the right strategy with the right coaching and the right teaching that you can become a person who has good impulse control and in fact that's what a lot of these new marshmallow studies have shown is that in fact your life is not set in one direction it's not predetermined it's not predestined that you can change And what's fascinating about this is that although it might sound strange, the purpose of the marshmallow experiment, the original purpose of it, that is at the core of what Jesus' teachings are all about in the gospel. That is the core of it all. Let's take a real quick look at the gospel of Mark again, what he says. So if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake, and for the sake of the gospel, will save it. Now what's he saying right here? He's saying if you want to become my disciple, you have to be willing to sacrifice, right? That's what he's talking about, sacrifice. So you have to give up your own personal aspirations, your own personal ambition, what you want, and you have to adopt Jesus's mission. You have to Give up living for yourself, and you have to start living for Jesus. Now, what does that look like, practically? Practically, what does that look like? It means that if you have food, more food than you need, you're supposed to sacrifice that food for the benefit of those who are hungry. If you have more than enough clothes to wear, you're supposed to sacrifice those clothes for the benefit of those who are cold. If you have more than enough room in your house to live, then you are supposed to sacrifice that room, that comfort of living alone in your own home, right? So that people who don't have a place to stay do have a place to stay. In other words, you sacrifice what you have right now for the benefit of society in the long run. So the central concept of the gospel, the way that it works, is that you sacrifice what you have right now or you delay gratification, right, for the long-term success of God's kingdom. So in this way, the gospel is really built around this idea of delayed gratification. You give up some of what you have, you sacrifice what you have, and it benefits everyone in the long run. Now, why does Jesus teach this to us? Well, he teaches this to us because he tells us that One of the biggest reasons why we encounter evil in the world is because people are selfish, right? We sit there and we say, I want this for myself right now, and I don't care how it impacts other people. I don't care about the consequences of what that means to the people around me. So Jesus tells us, he says that the core, the root of suffering in our world comes down to selfishness. And every act of selfishness, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, it has this ripple effect. It ripples out beyond us and it impacts people who are several degrees removed from the initial act. Now, let me give you an example of this because I want you to understand kind of how this works because I know most of you in here, I know most of you, you're good people, right? And I know that most of you, you're not particularly selfish. So when I stand up here and I say, oh, you're selfish, you're like, "Eh, I don't know. I don't know, Alex, I feel like I I try, (laughs) right? I try to do well. All right. So let's, let's use an example here. Let's take food. So you've heard probably from many different types of sources that there's enough food in the world to feed everyone. Yes? All right. The problem is getting the food to people who need it. So you'll hear this thing where people say, well, if you ate less, right, then there would be more food for everyone else. Now, you go to a restaurant. And you decide, you know what? I'm not going to order that appetizer because I want some kid over in a country that doesn't have any food, that's starving to be able to eat. Does that make sense? No, it does not, right? Doesn't make any sense. But here's the thing. It does make sense if you start to see it on a much larger scale. So let's say we all go to a restaurant, right? And we all decide we're not going to order that appetizer. We're not going to get that appetizer that we want. Now, what happens? Over enough time, if we do that over and over and over again, the restaurant does what? They're going to to order less food, right? Because you're not ordering that appetizer. You're not getting that one thing. And if you do think about that with all the restaurants in the United States, if they do that, that becomes so much less. And then you have these much larger food stores that actually can get to the people who need it. So the idea is, as an individual, you're right. You not ordering an appetizer, that doesn't do anything, does it? But if we all do it collectively, it really does make a difference. And so Jesus wants us to change our patterns. Jesus wants us to adopt a posture of selflessness, to give up what we have for the benefit of others. Jesus wants us to delay our immediate gratification to change those negative ripples into positive ones. And here's the most amazing thing about this, is that like the marshmallow experiment, if this is not the way that you are acting right now, you can be coached to think that way. So let's just imagine for a minute, if you will, that Jesus is our coach, right? So what does that mean? That means that the gospel, Jesus' teachings, they become a blueprint that guide us to live our lives in a way that we're willing to sacrifice for the greater good of society, right? That's the idea behind it. Now, why is this important? It's important because we're all born the same way, are we not? We're all animals, first and foremost. We don't like to think that way, but we are, are we not? And as animals, as organisms, what comes to us most naturally is trying to survive. We are here to survive. And so what that means is that's why you're selfish, right? That's, that's why you have this inside of you. But even though we all start off this way, if you're exposed to the gospel, if you're exposed to this way of thinking. It can change the way that you act in the world. And slowly over time, if you adopt this, it can change this person who you are. You can be reformed into somebody new. You can be reformed into this new you, a person who's willing to sacrifice for the benefit of God's kingdom. Now, this is the concept of rebirth that we talk about in the gospel, right? We read from John's gospel today, right? And in this passage, the story, they're talking about being born again, right? Now, Nicodemus, he takes this very literally. Let's read it. I love this passage. This is like one of my favorites, right? How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Like, he's talking about it like super literally, right? But what does Jesus mean? He's talking about a spiritual rebirth, right? One where you become a different type of person, One where your orientation towards the world forces you to ask the question constantly, what can I give as opposed to what can I get? And when you turn into this new kind of person, when you become this new person, you create all these positive ripples in the world and you can disrupt and you can stop those negative ripples. And this is how the kingdom of God is created, my friends. This is how it happens, because God transforms every one of you individually into this person who's willing to sacrifice, and that creates the kingdom because you create all these positive ripples out in the world that change the world for the better. Now, if you take nothing else away from this sermon series that I have preached to you, the ripple effect, I hope you will take this one point, and this is so important to me personally, and I hope you will remember this. Your primary duty as a Christian is to create positive ripples in the world. That is your job. That is what you are here to do. And the reason why is because negative ripples emanate from everywhere. They emanate from the narrative, the story we tell ourselves, right? And in that story, we often say, I'm better than my neighbor down the street, and I deserve more than my neighbor down the street. They emanate from the way we raise our children, how we pass those negative traits from one generation to the next. They emanate from the violence we exact upon one another when we hurt those who have hurt us. They emanate from the judgments of society when we group people into good or bad, citizen or criminal, leech or contributor. They emanate, most importantly, because we look at people and we say, you are incapable of change. You will always be this way. And I'm telling you right now, the most beautiful thing about Christianity is that it proclaims that change is possible, that you do not have to remain the way that you are now. The gospel is a change agent for our world, and it disrupts and it breaks those negative ripples that have so negatively impacted our lives. If you are sitting here today and you are thinking to yourself, my life is not what I want it to be, that my life has been impacted by all of these negative ripples, or I'm sending negative ripples into the world and I want them to be positive, then perhaps it is time for a rebirth. My prayer for you today is that you would actively allow God to remold and reform you into a new person. May you be willing to adopt a posture of selflessness where you are willing to give what you have for the benefit of others. May you be a disruptor of those negative ripples that destroy people's potential. And may you create positive ripples that build people up. May you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can create God's kingdom. And may you be an agent for change in our world, always asking the question, what can I give to make this world a better place? Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstprezah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.